letting us know that you are here. We just ask, Lord, for your light to break into the darkness here this morning and that you continue to speak to us. Bless what Gordy has to say this morning and may our hearts receive and understand it. Amen. Uh, because uh, our Omanim, Esther, here, uh, is it Nunja? How do we say your name? Kunja. How do we say your name? Kunju. Kunju. Omanim has been attending our church faithfully for many years. And I don't know if you realize, but uh, she lives in Koreatown, which is not close. All right? It's in Coquitlam on North Road. And she often has to take two buses and uh, just goes at a very slow pace uh, between buses. I saw her today walking from, was it the Nanaimo bus? What bus did you get? Number seven? Oh, from Hastings. Wow. Okay. And uh, so she, she asked to share something. And I thought that anybody that goes to that kind of trouble to come to our church week after week, if they ask to share something, how many think they should be able to share? Now, so this is Esther. Everybody welcome her. She's amazing. Now, you don't need to move anywhere. Do you want to just turn around? Is that okay? Or? Yeah, I'll sit okay. down. Eh? Yeah, sit down. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, you can sit on that. Oh, okay. I thought it was a walker. It's a sitter, too. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, Pastor Lee told me, um, pray for... And tell, tell them who Pastor Lee is. Oh, he's a Prince Rupert, Prince Rupert. my best friend. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Okay. He told me, pray, uh, where is uh, uh, Joy go that church? So... You know, I had a joy being at the church, I came. <laughs> so Pastor Goldie, he prayed one Sunday, praying for me while he's a prayer. From the beginning and the totally end, love, you know. I really experienced, praise the Lord. Um, Pastor Goldie, please forgive me, I gave you trouble. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You, you haven't given me any trouble. <laughs> she buys me Korean food. That is not trouble. That is blessing. <laughs> okay. My apartment, the next building is a church. I went a few times. Uh, you know, I could not come to this church. So she came to me. She wanted to move my apartment, eh? And uh, then she goes to tell her pastor, whatever, you know, she gave me trouble. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, last Sunday, I met her. And, uh, you know, then um, uh, so I had a joy last Sunday. The thief comes only to uh, steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that uh, I, I, they have a life and uh, have it to the full. Wow. wow. So I am really glad to come to the church. Yeah, every Sunday. And uh, thank you very much, 
to everybody that you guys are praying for me. Okay. Million thanks to everybody, especially <laughs> Pastor Goldie and oh. Kathleen. Well, okay. thank you for coming, Esther. Yeah, I, I think one of my greatest joys is, is to the opportunity sometimes to go out to, to Koreatown. And uh, Esther, Esther likes to treat us sometimes. They say that uh, Korean food attacks white men. Um, and, um, but I like it. I like that kind of attack. And uh, one day after lunch, Esther said, oh, I need, I need you to help me do some shopping. So we went into this big China, uh, Korean uh, supermarket, and she, she, uh, she gave me a list of things to uh, give to the, the attendant there to, to pick up and fill with a basket. And so I... I gave him this list, and he looked at me like I was from Mars. So, so I came back to Esther. I said, I don't know what to do. So she went up to him. She said, hurry up. Get this stuff. This is a busy pastor. Hurry up and get it. And so the guy, he's running around, and he fills up this basket full of stuff. And we put it in the back of my car, and we're taking it home to Esther's house. And, and I said, let's load it upstairs. She says, wait a minute. She grabs two items, takes it. Keep the rest, she said. So we have a lot of food at our house. Uh, our Korean students told us there's enough curry to feed several hundred people in our home. So uh, I think Esther just wanted us to be a little more hospitable to all of you. I think that's what was happening. But anyway, you're a blessing, Esther. We love you, and we're so glad you're, you come and you're a part of our church. That's what it's all about. So we are continuing our series. In fact, this is kind of the last uh, teaching uh, that I'll do on the, the Sabbath per se. We're going to begin to move into uh, Good and Beautiful God in the month of March after Gary and Joy on the 8th. But I wanted to talk today for a few minutes. Let me just get my remote here. On kind of a, probably a bit of a strange um, topic when you think about sabbatical or Sabbath. Uh, for those of you that are just joining us, uh, we're basing our series title on the Sabbath year that God commanded Israel to take every seven years, where they would give the land rest. And we felt that that's a word for our church, and included in that is a pastoral sabbatical, uh, which we're doing as an act of obedience. Uh, it, it's part of our budget, it's part of our plan this year. Uh, it, it's, it's, as I said last Sunday, I think there's many of you that are far more deserving of, of, of a sabbatical this way than I am. But it's, it's, it's part of the in-working and strategy that we believe that God is working in our whole church. And uh, it, I believe that it, it is important for our future, uh, not only for Kathleen and I, but, but for our whole church. And so our actual pastoral sabbatical will be from April the 5th, which will be our send-off on Easter Sunday, and uh, we'll be back for our, our first service on July the 17th. So it's not a whole year. I know there's rumors going around saying I was taking off for a year. Uh, no, I'll be, uh, we'll be around. Um, and then summertime, uh, July and August, kind of mid-July when we get back, is what we call soft re-entry. What that means is, is we'll We'll, be, we'll, we'll still be in summer mode. I won't be preaching or teaching, but we'll be back in a relational way 
the, the sabbatical is not to be part of summer holiday, so summer holiday is separate from what the sabbatical actually is. So, you know, not all our plans are in, in place yet. We're, we're felt it was wise, and this is given by counsel from other pastors who've done this, is to, to make a clean geographical break from where you are to start off. Sometimes when you try to do a sabbatical uh, in the place that you work, it's, it's hard to, to do the break. So um, we're going to be spending the first month in Asia. We'll be going to Korea and to China. Uh, and uh, of course, we have a lot of homestay students, sons and daughters that are eagerly waiting for us. That we all wished Happy New Year this last week, and they're very excited. Uh, there's a little bit of a stir going on over there uh, about us coming, and we're pretty excited about seeing them. And then, just the way our flights worked out, it, we were able to spend some time in Beijing on our way back. So we're going to go see the Great Wall and the hidden. Sit, or the Forbidden City and all those wonderful things in China, uh, which is a real important part of being a pastor in Vancouver. Uh, so uh, we're really excited about that. And then we'll be back kind of around the 1st of May uh, for the balance of the two months of our sabbatical. And then in and out right now, uh, spending some time in, in, at our place in the Okanagan and with our family uh, so we'll kind of keep you posted. We won't be uh, out of touch in terms of communication. We'll be, we'll be communicating as to what's, what's going on, what's happening. And um, today I want to talk about money, specifically tithing. Now chances are there's somebody who arrived today who hasn't been to church for a long time. And you're rolling your eyes saying, yeah, I knew it. Every time they talk about money. So I knew you'd be here today. I knew that. So I actually did a little bit of an audit on the last time I talked about money. And it was exactly two years ago. Uh, we were going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't plan on it. But Jesus happened to talk about it in the Sermon on the Mount. So wanting to be like Jesus, we talked about money uh, two years ago. And it was only for one Sunday. Uh, because it was during, in that part of the Sermon on the Mount about treasure. You know, where your heart is, there's your treasure. Treasure is your heart. That kind of stuff. So for the record, you know, that's, that is a fact. Somebody in our leadership team meeting, when we talked about it at the last meeting, they said, didn't we just have a series on money? <laughs> so it's amazing. That money thing gets us nervous, doesn't it? It's, it's, uh, uh, so I had to go back into my notes and find out and we actually haven't done a series on money for, for years and years. I, I don't think it's, 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 uh, it's, we've been doing it enough, at least based on what the advice I've been getting. So secondly, true or false, I want you to think about this question. Are you ready? This question, true or false, says this. God wants to bless me, meet all my needs financially, and give me more than I need, so I always have something to give to those in need. True, True or false? False. <laughs> Trick question, isn't it? God wants to bless me, meet my needs financially, and give me more than I need, so I always have something to give to those in need. True or false? False. All right. So hold that. Keep your answer. 
keep my, Lord, keep my words soft because tomorrow I might have to eat them. Um, keep that in view and let's walk through some scripture. <laughs> so the second thing I want to say is this is not about another rule. When we talk about tithing, and tithing is kind of, it's part of our culture. It's kind of there and it's kind of assumed and we know some do it and some don't and some know what it means and some don't know what it means and somebody thinks you have a lisp when you talk, say it. And... But tithing is not another rule. We're not talking about guilt or obligation, but we're talking, if we're talking about the new covenant, we're talking about Jesus, it's always about invitation. It's always about an invitation out of bondage into freedom. He said, those who are my disciples will continue in my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But sometimes it makes you miserable first, doesn't it? <laughs> so, Sabbath, time, and tithing. Now, the old guy with buttons is having trouble with the button again. There we go. All right. So, it's a rather strange topic to relate Sabbath and time and tithing. This, this practice that you find in Scripture about actually giving God the first 10% of your income. We know that the Bible teaches on it. But what I, I found in my preparation on Sabbath was I began to notice this link between tithe and Sabbath. In fact, you've probably heard me say more than once that in some ways Sabbath is the time version of tithing. Sabbath is giving God one day out of seven trusting him that you can actually do more in six days than you would if you tried to do it all in seven. And tithing is giving God 10% of your 100%, trusting him that you can actually and will actually do more with the 90% than you would have if you'd have kept the 100%. So should it be so remarkable that we think of the connection between time and money? Time is money. Our money is our time. There's a vital link or sense when you keep Sabbath uh, of this interconnection. You are, when you tithe, you're giving God a portion of your time. The time that you've invested to earn money, for example, during the past week or the past month or the past year. Sometimes when I've made a mistake, you know, if I dent my car or I wreck something and it costs me money, sometimes as a little exercise, I go, for that carelessness, that has cost me X number of hours, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a connection between our time and our money. Now, as I was preparing this week, sometimes our idea of tithing is a bit, I, I thought of this, you know, you know, Kathleen and I are, just totally love our, our homestay students. We're obsessed about our grandkids and we're obsessed about our homestay students. And, and I talked to you last week about a young lady by the name of Ara. And uh, this picture here, I'm not sure if I can get this to go. Is this... Is it that way? Is it this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here we go, Peter. Genius. All right. Now, 
I want to show you, this is Ara, and this is with Greg Trainer. This was at our 25th anniversary last year for our church. And uh, Ara is the one I've told you is coming back uh, to live here in Vancouver. She's very excited about that. And we were out on an outing with Greg. Greg was staying with us for a few days. Remember, he came. He's uh, the planter of our Sydney Southwest Vineyard Church plant in Australia. And, the, and by the way, we're grandparents now because that church has now planted out several churches as well. So we were out on this outing this particular day. And uh, one of the things we did with Ara is I took her to Whistler. And, and Whistler... Um, on this particular day, had all kinds of things. It was like a carnival, so it was April, right? And, and there was all kinds of things going on and little contests, and Ara was just game. Whatever, whatever she was in line to try a contest to do, to do you know, I, I, me, I'm just kind of, I don't want to know. I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. And she was winning things, just right, left, and center. She was winning prizes. And we found this machine, and it just said, hug me. So... You know, of course, me, I'm going, yeah, right. You know, uh, get that on our website, the pastor hugging this machine. Anyway, uh, Ara was game, so she thought she'd give it, a, give it a try. And all of a sudden, we hear this bam, 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 right? And she reaches in, and she gets herself a free Coca-Cola. <laughs> and, of course, there's the Korean victory sign. Of course, you get that as well. Now, it was, it was a cute moment, and sometimes we think that tithing is a little bit like that. Uh, but it's, how many know it's not quite that simple? Um, and uh, if we just do this, it'll solve all our problems, and, you know, we have our Coca-Cola, and off with life we go. But it's an important first step. Even though it's not quite like this, tithing, Scripture teaches, is an important first step. I think... One of the complications, of course, is that we don't read a lot about it in the New Testament. Jesus does affirm the practice, but it's kind of like lifting your hands in praise and worship. You don't read a lot about that in the New Testament either, but it's assumed in the worship culture because they inherited the, 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 the Jewish, Jewish practices of worship. But there are remarkable promises related to tithing, and the first I want to look at is from our text from Malachi, or the only Italian prophet in the Bible, Malachi. Right, Dan? And um, he was very popular when we were at church on the drive. We used to preach from Malachi a lot. And um, the, the context of this very, very well-known passage of Scripture that I have heard preached on ever since I was a little kid, but is not often talked about, the context, is that this... This message that Malachi preached was preached during the, the time that the temple was rebuilt. Remember that the Jewish exiles had been scattered by the Babylonians and then the Persians. And then they're, they're now restoring the temple. And the temple had been rebuilt. The walls had been restored. The exiles had returned. And there was this initial honeymoon period. There was like this euphoria over uh, the fact that, hey, there's a new beginning. It's not all bad. But how many know honeymoons and euphoria are uh, sometimes uh, deceptive? And what happened was they, over a period of time, they began to stray. After the euphoria, the initial honeymoon of of the restoration of the temple was uh, over, and they kind of had to get on to this long obedience in the same direction, you know, where you just kind of 
live, you walk, you put one foot in front of the other. It wasn't quite so exciting anymore. And so that's the context that we come to this. So God's speaking through Malachi here, and he says, Italian accent, okay, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, uh, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and, not, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you say, how? How are we to return? And what follows is probably the most tangible step in all the scripture that God ever gives for his people to return. And this was it. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So, a couple of things here. Number one, one, as I said, one of the most tangible ways that God ever gives is by returning to him with our tithes and offerings. Why is that? Remember what Jesus said in his teaching on, on tithes and offerings, on giving. He said, do not lay up treasure on earth where moth can come in and corrupt, where rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven where they can't, where there is no inflation, there is no recession, there is no unemployment. He said, invest in a secure investment for where your treasure is, there is your heart. Now, often we get the, the reverse, don't we? We often say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. But actually, Jesus said, no, no, no. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow, right? Uh, at one time, I was preaching on that, and, and our kids, my daughter and grandkids were in Switzerland. And I was preaching away, and I was saying, you know, that's why I'm always concerned about what's going on in Switzerland. I have some treasure over there. And, you know, I was, talk, I was talking about my grandkids and, and uh, my, my family, and uh, I woke up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night a couple of nights later, and I realized, oh, my goodness, there's probably some newcomers there, and they thought I have a Swiss bank account somewhere, you know. Man, I need to explain myself. So, so the point is, is that where, you're, where your treasure is, that's what you're thinking about. So when Jesus and, and Scripture teaches us to put the tithe into the storehouse, there's something about our hard investment that follows the second thing is, if God is infinite and he owns everything, how could we ever rob him? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the galaxies of the universe. How, what, what, what big deal is it for us to, to rob God like he's really ticked off because of that quarter you took away from him? Well, there's only one way that you can ever rob God. He's infinitely wealthy, but he wants to bless you. He wants to do you good. And when you withhold the tithe, he's saying that you tie his hands. You rob him of the ability to bless you. The third thing he says is bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now the definition of tithe here is, is, is ten. The word tithe comes from ten or a tenth, a ten percent. He says bring the whole tithe. And I've, I've noticed this throughout scripture is that God is not a piecemeal God. He doesn't say, you shall love the Lord with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind, and some of your strength, if you feel good. Give him the leftovers. 
No, God is a God that says, give me the first, give me the best, and give it all. Give it all to me. So there's, there's something about the whole tithe. You know, I've, I've talked to people say, well, I tithe, you know. I give some of my tithes to panhandlers on the street, and I give a little bit over here, and I give a little bit over there. And I found this just unhealthy. Because what you're doing is you're scattering your heart. When you, you know, I, I, God created me to have the capacity to love one woman. Right? To be in covenant with her. Right? <laughs> And, and I don't have the capacity to do beyond that, and I'll do a bad job, and so will you, right? And, and as human beings, we are created to be wholehearted in what we do, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so if you think treasure, heart, and the connection, there's something about wholeheartedness here that he's asking for. And then he says into the storehouse. Now, look. I've heard a lot of theological discussions about the storehouse without looking at the context. The context is very simple. You'll find it in Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah was going, they rebuilt the walls, restored the temple, but the temple was starting to look bad. Garbage was spilling out everywhere. Things were broken. The door, one door was hanging off with one latch working and one not. The paint looked horrible. And Nehemiah said, what's going on? And he went to find the guys that were responsible for taking care of it. And guess what? They were out working in the field. Why were these Levites out working in the field? They were out working in the field because people had stopped giving their tithes. They couldn't pay the Levites. And so the Levites couldn't take care of the temple. That was the context of this particular word that Malachi gave. And so Levi, uh, Nehemiah called for a return and a restoration now, there was a second significant development, and I've left that text in your bulletin, um, Nehemiah chapter 13. If you read that in your scripture, there's a, as soon as Nehemiah deals with this tithing issue, he then finds something else is going on with Israel. Guess what they stopped doing? You guessed it. They stopped Sabbathing. Isn't that interesting? So they stopped investing... Their heart's no longer following their investment. Their heart's now about the almighty dollar and, and trying to make, make a buck. And so the Sabbath stopped. And, so, and you look, and their routine just became seven days a week. They were selling in the markets. And, of course, Nehemiah took some drastic measures to straighten that out. But you see there the relationship. And, and God in Scripture, as you find these patterns and seasons and rhythms... There's a, there's a direct relationship to when they stopped and, bring, and bringing something before the Lord. You see that over and over and over again. So God then says to them, and I call this the divine dare. God very rarely dares us to do something. But here he says, I dare you. This is from God to the nation of Israel. He says, I dare you. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, God usually forbids testing him. There's actually scriptures that say you should not test the Lord your God. But for some reason, God says it's okay to test him on this. 
I remember a vineyard pastor from the U.S. used to travel around teaching on tithing, and he took up God's dare on God's behalf. And he challenged anybody to start tithing, and if they could not pay their bills, their rent, their regular living bills, after three months, he said, send me the bill and I'll pay it. Now, why did he say three months? Because often when you step out and start obeying God, things get worse before they get better. The enemy will often challenge you and say, oh, so you're going to do this, are you? Ha, 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 we'll see. So there's a sense of you have to persevere and hang in there. Say, God, you are faithful to your word, right? Let's, let's read on. So there's, there's just a continued promise where God says, I will prevent rust, or pests, rather, from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop in the fruit, their fruit before it's ripe. How many know, as the Buddhists like to say, <clears throat> stuff happens? Right? That's the Christianized version of it. Right? Things happen. And so... You know, life is tough, and we all, whether you tithe or not, there are reversals, there are difficulties, there's challenges, but God promises that there is a protection from unneeded and unnecessary setbacks when we, when we operate this way. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, there's the backdrop of the Abrahamic covenant there, where God told Israel that you would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Well, how can you be a blessing if you're not blessed? Right? I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. And so part of this covenantal uh, relationship was happened through the tithes and the offerings of Israel. Now, where did this whole idea of tithing come from? Well, it, it's actually found in Genesis chapter 4. is probably the first uh, place that we find it. And it's the story of Cain and Abel. And you remember that Cain and Abel uh, both brought something to the Lord, and Abel took the best of his crop. He brought the firstborn of his sheep and, and, and the best of the crops, and he brought them to the Lord, and the Lord was pleased by it. And Cain, what did he give? He said, well, i got to do this with this, and i got to do this with Let's see if I have some leftovers. And he gave God some leftovers. And the Lord kind of enjoyed... Abel's off, offering. And Cain got kind of upset about that. So the whole idea of first fruits was giving God the first or the best of what we have because back then they didn't have currency uh, to, to do the 10% thing. It was, it was if the firstborn, if it was a healthy sheep, or, or they would offer it to the Lord. And uh, the, there was three things that, that kind of went with the first fruits. Um, in the book of Proverbs, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then the barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. And when I lived in England, they had a tax called the value added tax. They called it the vat. So I used to kill them, uh, kid them, not kill them. Uh, <laughs> I think I did kill them a little bit uh, about the vats brimming over with new wine. Um, but there's three things that, that, the first fruits offering was about. Number one, God is the source of this. In other words, when they would offer the, uh, the first fruits to the Lord, they were saying, Lord, this came from you. 
So it was, it was an acknowledgement. And this is what tithes and offerings have always been for me. I was taught since I was a little child to do this. I do it without even thinking. I have never not tithed in my whole life. I have, I have tithed when I was sick, when I was in rehabilitation, when I, had, uh, I couldn't work. I tithed when we arrived in Vancouver and we were trying to live off a working class income. I've tithed. And God has always been faithful. It hasn't always been easy, but he's always provided for us. And the anxiety level has always been like so low for us. There's just this sense that, God, this is a covenant. I give you what's yours, you're going to take care of me. Where your treasure is, there's your heart, right? And a lot of the Bible teaching about money is about anxiety, which is why people get so nervous when we teach on it, right? God is the source of everything. He's, it's, a, it's a thank offering. Secondly, we're saying that it all belongs to God. There is something that happens to the other 90% when you give God the 10%. That scripture seems to indicate with the first fruits offering. Paul describes this in Romans 11 when he says, If the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch becomes holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So there's this sense that when you give God the 10%, there is something that happens to the other 90%. Now, it's not like we say, oh, I, I've heard people say this. Well, God says I give him 10% and I get to keep the 90%. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. When you give God the 10%, you're saying it's all his and it makes all of it holy. It makes... It gives, it, it gives blessing and provision and wisdom and discretion for the rest of it. There's something about the rest of your income that the tithe, by offering the tithe, opens the door for God's blessing. To, to do, we prayed about this in pre-service prayer, to do what he did for the boy with the loaves and the fishes. How many know he made it available to God and God did something with that loaves and fishes that he couldn't have done any other way by making it available so there's a sense of availability to God that we're saying. Remember, we are stewards of all and owners of nothing. I own nothing. That is life. I don't own my own body. I don't own my own life. This is not my life. This is God's life. I am a steward of it. He's given it to me. He's entrusted it to me. And all that I own, my house, my possessions, my family, my church, my job, it's His. I will give account to Him. What I've done with his body, his life, his resources, his money, his time that he's entrusted to me. We are owners of nothing. We are stewards of all. God owns it all. You are not your own. You're bought with a price, Paul said. And then finally, tithing is, is an expression of confidence that God will provide. Just like we uh, believe that when we give God one day out of seven, that we will do more with those six days. So we believe that when we give God that 10%, that he will bless the other 90% to do way more than we could have ever done with 100%. And uh, I love the psalm where it says, better is a little that the righteous have than the wealth of the, many, of the wicked. You know how I've always taken that? God can do more with my little that I made available to him than all the billions of dollars that a wicked person would have. Isn't that amazing? 
So let's look at some examples through Scripture, and then I want to bring it home for some practical stuff for us as we move into sabbatical as a church. Um, In the Old Testament, one of the first examples of a specific tithe was Abraham. He had just rescued his nephew Lot, and they brought all kinds of spoils back from the rescue from these enemy nations that had plundered them. And so Abraham's coming back, having won a great victory. And then this mysterious character appears in the Old Testament. We have no idea who he is. But he's some mystical, uh, metaphysical figure almost. He appears in the book of Hebrews. But writer of Hebrews says he's a, he's a picture of Christ. But his name was Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, as we know it now. And it says he brought out what bread and wine. And I think this is a picture of the local church. This is a picture of your local church community where you are accountable, where you're covered, where you're known. We all need a place where we are covered, where we're accountable, where we're known, where we're fed spiritually. And he brought out bread and wine. I think this is a picture of the communion meal. And he was a priest of God, the Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by God, Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God, Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. See, that's a blessing we give you every week when you come here. When we break bread together, I bless you when you go. Or Joanna does, or who's ever leading the service. We bless you to be delivered from your enemies as you walk through this week. Spirit-filled, Christ-centered. God honoring lives. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So we see this practice happening way before the law, way before the old covenant. Had nothing to do with the old covenant. It was just a principle of life. Did you know there's lots of people in the world who are not even Christians who practice this? Because they found it's a principle of life. Um, in Deuteronomy, God said. Because they had a, the children of Israel got into a practice of the high places where they just kind of offered what they wanted wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Kind of like I said, that 1% of the tithe went there, another percent of the tithe went there. So God said to them, you're not to do as you do here today, everyone doing as they see fit. Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. There you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offering, sacrifices, tithes, special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. And they would give it to the Levites to to serve the temple, to serve the people of God. And then when we move to the New Testament, there's a lot in the Old Testament. I'm just giving you some of the key verses. But Jesus said it this way, and I've sometimes brought a McDonald's spoon. You know, know, some of you from the past, I've sometimes brought a McDonald's spoon and then I brought a big shovel to, to kind of illustrate this. Where Jesus says, given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I pull out the McDonald's school spoon and, you know, the shovel and say, what measure are you using, right? And then Paul says it similar. He says, remember, and this is the guy that he was often poor. He often suffered poverty and and was pickled in the Mediterranean Sea for swimming for three days from a shipwreck, right? <laughs> he sometimes suffered for the gospel. So sometimes you suffer. It's true. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then in another place, he talked about thinking about it. Don't do it out of guilt or obligation. Do it because you love God, because you trust him, and you believe that he's faithful. And on the first day of the week, bring your offering. He teaches that in, in, uh, in the book of Corinthians. Uh, and then verse 8, he goes on to say, And God now is able, God is able to bless you abundantly. Now, take this as your blessing today. Take this as your promise. This is Paul. If anybody had a right to say, well, you know, God, you know, it's not quite that simple. It'd be Paul. He'd be the guy to say, you know, there's some qualifications to this. But he doesn't. Here's what he says. God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is New Testament, folks. This is not the Old Testament. This is New Testament. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. So blessing is not just financial. When you are faithful with finances, Jesus said mammon is a god. When you are faithful with, with money and it's your servant and not your master, it affects every area of your life. It affects your heart, your attitude towards people, your values. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through, us, through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, so some examples from the Old Testament is when Elijah has prophesied a famine to Ahab, this wicked king, and Ahab, uh, and the whole nation goes into a famine, and God sends Elijah down by a river, and the ravens feed him. Remember they're bringing Big Macs? Well, I don't know it's Big Macs. <laughs> Tofu dogs. I'm not sure what it was, but the ravens, you know, they're not the cleanest bird. It's interesting that God took the humble way of delivering provision through a raven to Elijah. And uh, then you'll find in the story the river dried up. How many know sometimes the river dries up, the job stops, the, the, the business goes, or whatever? What is your river? Remember, that's not your source. God's your source, right? And so sometimes when we as a church have suffered financially, I've had to say, Lord, the church is not my source. You're my source. I'm, I'm, I'm working for you. And I always will be. Mm-hmm. So sorry, folks. You can't fire me till he does. <laughs> now, you can fire me from here. I'm not saying I, I could be fired from the church, of course. But I'm working for God. That's a lifetime covenant commitment I've made. So Elijah, the river dries up, and so God says, I've got provision for you. And Jesus talks about this, doesn't he, in the New Testament. He talks about what happened next, and it really made the Jews mad. Because G- the Yahweh sent Elijah to a Gentile woman. She was a woman who'd lost her husband. She probably wasn't that old yet because she had a little boy. She had a young child. And Elijah was sent by God to her. He said, she'll provide for you. She'll give you accommodations and food. Now, that's not who I would pick for provision. 
So Elijah sees her gathering some sticks to make her last loaf of bread for her little boy in the famine. And then they're going to die. And he says, Ah, could I have a drink? Oh, uh, can, do you mind making me a loaf of bread? Now, can you imagine what was going on in Elijah? All he's thinking about is the televangelist. That's all he's thinking about. <laughs> and he's telling this little lady to give him the last of her provision. But you see, there's two things going on here. Elijah needed her to be God's conduit to provide for him. But she needed Elijah. She needed to have an opportunity to enter God's economy. So the world's economy is about scarcity, so it's about getting as much as you can. God's economy is about abundance, and so it's about giving. And when you give, you unleash his resources. And so we know the story. She, get, she, she complained about it at first, but she said, it's your word, I'll do it. And she cooked him that. He said, don't be afraid God, that your, your oil and your flour is not going to run out. And it didn't. It kept them alive through the whole through the whole famine. The second story I love, and I've met this guy, Yonggi Cho, in Yoidofo Gospel, still the largest church in the world, over a million members right now. But he came out of the Korean War, and when he came out of the Korean War, he, he began to discover this thing about tithing. Well, these were Koreans that were impoverished. You know what uh, Jay Yong, the last student we had, told us? is during the Second World War, or not the Second World War, it was the Korean War. Uh, the Americans would have all of this food sent over and they would throw it away. And you know what the Koreans would do? They would walk along the roadside looking for the scraps and they'd take sausage and pork that had been thrown away and they'd throw it into a pot and they made a stew. And it's still a popular stew today in Korea. They don't use the American scraps anymore, but they use the same ingredients. And it's, it's a memory of the impoverishment that they had after this war. Well, you know what Yonggi Cho told his people? He told them to start giving. They said, are you kidding? We're starving. So he'd ask them. He said, well, do you have a chicken? <laughs> yes, we'll have a chicken. Does that chicken lay eggs? Yes, it lays eggs. Well, the first egg, you give it to God. <laughs> the other ten, the other nine belong, you can use. And he taught those, this is back in the late 50s and 60s, he taught them to begin to give to God. And I attended his church in 1985, and he, he told them, he said, God's not going to give it back to you necessarily in cash. doesn't usually work like Ara's pop machine. doesn't work that way. What he does is he gives you an idea, and he told them that. He said, just be listening for ideas, listening for doors and opportunities. Watch. Give and then be watching. For God's provision, like Elijah, right? Look for the provision. Well, God started giving these Korean guys ideas, and I attended the church in 1985, and that's then, that's 30 years ago, okay? There were, I was invited to a lunch, a breakfast, a men's breakfast in the morning, 1985. There were 500 millionaires sitting in that, from that one church at the breakfast. And that's when I realized that, hey, this is not a North American promise. This is a kingdom promise. It works everywhere. It requires perseverance sometimes and faithfulness and just pressing through. But God's a good God. And he wants to bless us to make us a blessing. And then finally, 
Um, I, I love telling this story, and you can look this up on Wikipedia. This guy learned from his parents to start tithing. When he was a child, he started tithing, and he went into business. He's often called by the business world God's businessman. And what he did was he started saying, God, I'm going to give you 10%, and he invented these earth-moving machines, you know, that make roads. God gave him that idea, and he was able, by the end of his life, he was living off 10% of his income and giving 90%. God kept blessing him, so he gave 20%, and then 30%, and then 40%. And he so blessed him that he was able to live off 10% and give away 90%. You can look up this guy on Wikipedia. It's a great story. Um, so, Q&A. Do I tithe off my gross or my net? Well, it's up to you. It's a little bit difficult if you're in your own business and you've got expenses and what do you tithe. And, and, and you know what? That's between you and God. What are you faith for? Just remember the McDonald's spoon and the shovel. That's all I say. I've always tithed off my gross, but I've always been on payroll. I think it's different when you're on contract and you have expenses and overhead and stuff like that. I think you have to work that out between you and God. So it's, it's not a rule. It's not a law. Again, it's a, it's, a, it's a choreography. Just like we've been doing for Sabbath, it's the same with your finances. It's a choreography. What if I can't afford to tithe? What's the answer to that one? Can't afford not to. And say it with an American accent. You've got to say it with an American accent. That's right. <laughs> it is true. I found I can't afford not to tithe. I can't afford not to. Now, what if you are way in debt and you're just struggling to make ends meet and the idea of tithing, it's just, it's, it's like, it's, it's not a freedom for you. It's a burden. Hmm? You know what I tell people? Maybe I'm too pastoral. I tell them, take a risk. Risk like that woman you know, maybe, maybe you're like that little widow coming and all you got is that last two mites. Maybe just God says, I dare you. I dare you. And so what level of faith do you have to take a risk? And pray about it. Ask the Lord to give you a sense of faith and freedom to begin to invest. I think the 10% is like um, training wheels. In the New Testament, Jesus said it's all his. It's about radical generosity and crazy generosity and giving away houses and cars and stuff like that. So, so tithing is like training wheels. It's like learning to get into the rhythm of the kingdom of God. Right? Where does my tithe go? Well, I think we already talked about the storehouse. I think, I think on your offering envelopes, a lot of churches, they don't have general fund. They have tithe. They just say tithe. And that goes into the general operation of a local church. Because if you don't have a local church, you know, some people say, I don't tithe, I give to missions. I don't tithe to the ch a church, I, I tithe to missions. If you don't have the church, you don't have missions. And if every person tithe that belongs to a local church tithe to a local church, there would be enough money for missions, the poor, and every project we ever wanted to do. Ah, potlatch, that's right. So what's the difference between tithes and offerings? Well, tithe is the 10%. Offering is free will beyond that. And there's been times in my life where I've just 
often, uh, in Israel, they often gave between 20 to 30%, and I've tried to follow that sometimes, where I said, okay, my tithe goes into my local church, but Lord, as you bless me, I am open as needs come. I'm going to give beyond that, even if it's sacrificial. So mission projects to the poor, just different needs that arise. How should I tithe? Here's what I'd recommend. And I, I know we live in an electronic age, but I think there is something special about actually preparing your offering. Now, some of you don't even operate by checks anymore. I know that. So I don't know what the answer is for this, but I think there is something about actually coming with your worship and, and putting it in the offering plate. And I think, I think there's also something else very important. I think what it models for your kids, for our kids, I was impacted by this growing up, watching my next generation before me give and be generous. So I think there's a discipleship thing. Now, I know that some of you can only do it by PayPal electronically the way you work nowadays, and I understand that. I, 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 I'm kind of torn about it because in many ways it's helped our, our, our budget as a church because we have that option available. It's great. We do pay a service fee for that that we don't pay when, when people give at the church. Uh, so it's, it's up to you. Sometimes I use electronic, especially if I've been traveling and I haven't been able to be at church. I want to get my tithe in on time. So I, I sometimes do it. But think about just the act of, of coming together for worship. I think it's really important. So in conclusion, because Sabbath, time, and money are so interrelated, God has given us the gift of the tithe as a tangible means of continually returning to him and entering his rest by entrusting our finances to him. And I, I believe there is a relationship between rest and money. There is. What is so causing restlessness and anxiety in our culture today? It's money, right? So there's something about this act of trusting God. I've left this on your uh, bulletin for one of your questions. Why is doing this community garden with Gloria so important in being counter to the culture? Because we're stopping, we're slowing down, we're getting close to the earth. It's a community action. I believe this is a radical prophetic action. And it saves money. Yeah. It's a good, good money choice too. Get your own garden, fruits and vegetables. Stay healthy. That's right. Participation together. So last but not least, let's talk about your faith promise. And these are found in your bulletins. And this is something we're asking you all to pray about over the next few weeks. You can respond today or you can respond in the weeks to come. And it has to do with the sabbatical. We've done this before in our church's life and God has blessed it amazingly. We've seen just remarkable answers to prayer. But a faith promise, uh, let me first of all talk about two challenges that we're facing as we move into the sabbatical as a, as a, a church. The first challenge is, is that because I won't be here and the church is keeping me on, uh, on payroll during the sabbatical as they did seven or ten years ago, which is highly recommended, because if you don't, then you kind of defeat the purpose of the sabbatical. Uh, we have some staff needs that need to be met. And the, 
The first challenge we have is that the, the, when I was serving with the national team in the vineyard, uh, the Na Vineyard Canada was sending us a stipend, stipend to support Joanna's salary of eight hours a week. And that stopped at the end of December, uh, just because my term on the national team left. Now, before I was on the national team, we still supported an assistant pastor at the same time, or even more hours. So it's not like we're dependent on that national uh, stipend, but for a couple of years it was nice. And that's now stopped. And I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, should we include this part of the faith promise? And I felt like the Lord say no. That we're not to include that money that we lost from the national stipend. I felt I heard the Lord say that if we will all be faithful with our regular tithes and offerings, there will be enough for that. Because we've always done it before, and, and, and we kind of have faith and precedent for that to continue. So that's the first thing. But the leadership team has felt that we need to add an additional eight hours uh, so that Joanna and Wade have between them 16 hours during the, the, the week uh, while during the five months of the sabbatical. And that's coordinating volunteers. A lot of this is going to be about volunteers stepping up, our oversight and stewardship team, coordinating point persons during the week, that kind of a thing. And so... Um, it's these extra eight hours a week that I feel that, that God wants to invite us to partner with him through what's called a faith promise. Now, what's a faith promise? A faith promise is, is where you see a need beyond your, your regular tithes and offerings, your regular giving that you're doing, that you have faith and confidence for, and you sense that God wants you to be a part of that, that he's inviting you to be a part of it, so you pray. And you ask him, Lord, what do I have faith to ask you for? to pray in extra every month to be able to give. This kind of came from Oswald J. Smith, an old missionary statesman. A lot of missionary projects around the world are supported this way. The idea is that you ask God to provide it, and the deal is when he provides it, you give it. It's as simple as that. So uh, I think I have this all on. Yeah, so... If, the faith part of the faith promise is you see a need or a project that you want to give towards beyond your regular tithes and offerings, so you ask God for his provision according to the measure of your faith. And then the, prom the promise part is, whoops, sorry. The promise part is as God provides it, you give it. Now you have in your bulletin uh, an insert for this, and it, it kind of explains all that. What we'd like you to do is to pray. Take that and pray over it and some of you already knew about this and you've been praying over it and you might want to just leave it today at our welcome table. But basically what we'd like you to do is we'll give opportunity week by week until the end of March for you to participate in this by just putting it in the offering. We'll, we'll still have forms available if you lose yours. But we'd like you to take it home, especially if this is new to you because the whole principle of prayerfully thinking and praying about it and, um, and just... Asking the Lord what you have faith for. And it might be the widow's might. Uh, we've seen remarkable answers to prayer when people made these kind of faith promises. Uh, unexpected raise, a new job can sometimes happen uh, in, in, in God's economy. But however he does it, we believe that he is faithful. And if, if for some reason, it's not there, there's no obligation. 
It's simply giving God an opportunity to, to surprise you. Uh, so, that's it. Any, any questions before we, we go to some prayer? Oh, the true or false? Yeah. Well, I think the, the answer was given in, in, in Paul's... I, I kind of gave Paul's caveat, where he says God is able to bless you so that in every good work you, you are enriched in every way. So I, I, I gave the caveat of Paul's suffering because sometimes he went through a difficult time. But he understood as a general rule that God was a good God, even though he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. So, so I believe the answer is true, but there are life's caveats, and um, I think Scripture bears that out. That's Second Corinthians chapter. Oh, really? Um. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Or is it... No, I think it's 2. Okay, I know it's 2 Corinthians, and I believe it's chapter 9. Yeah. So if, if you're still having trouble, send me an email. Uh, R.G. Letourneau, L-E-T... O-U-R-N-E-A-U. Just, just Wikipedia it or Google it. It's amazing. Yeah. He's funded Christian universities. I mean, it, what, what a story. What a life story. He just said, Lord, I'm going to... He saw business as spiritual as preaching, and he was right. He was right. He, he didn't have this dichotomy between, you know, it's all the kingdom of God. Nine, verse eight. verse eight. Yeah, wonderful passage. I mean, it's just, it, it's it's a, it's an amazing promise. That was awesome. I, I I'm struggling separating the difference between God giving you more than what you need and then being blessed abundantly. Mm -hmm. So God giving you more than what you need mm -hmm. is not true to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but God is able. So, so I think it, the parallel in the Old Testament uh, would be, I will pour out such a blessing that you will not be able to contain it, right? right? Yeah. So it's, it's similar, and are, are we always there? No, but I believe that, that what happens is when you begin to practice, there's this cycle of, of freedom to give when there is a need, that there isn't this sense of, oh, I can't afford to give another penny because I'm just so tight. It's just, it's something that happens in our spirit where we go, yeah, I can let that go. And maybe I can't see right now where that's all going to come from, but, but I'm in another kingdom. And, and, and my treasure is in that kingdom, not... And, and I, I believe that, that there is a real sense of... Remember that story in the New, New Testament where Jesus talked about the steward? who was mismanaging funds and he was going to lose his job and he goes, I'm too old to, to dig and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg, so what will I do? So he, he took all the creditors and he halved their bills 
And Jesus said, that guy's smarter than most believers are because he was, he was looking ahead. He was planning for the future and he was investing in and recognizing that the, 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 the future is coming into the present, that there was this sense of the future is coming into the present. And so he, he says this crazy thing, use money to make friends so that when it fails, they will receive you into everlasting habitations. Use money to make friends? What? Well, he's talking about investment, that as you and I tithe and give, there are people that are going to be waiting for us when we come home. That are going to, they're going to say thank you, you know, and it's an eternal uh, investment and treasure. I think there's, there's all that going on with it, too. Joanna? Yeah. Got two minutes. So I was think, feeling like it was a little weird to share about this when you're um, being asked to make a faith promise that's going to help pay our salary. <laughs> but last week's uh, message was all about being vulnerable. And I felt like God was challenging me to be more vulnerable. And my answer at that point in time was to say to Karen, who I asked to pray for me, I don't know how I could be any more vulnerable. I feel like I'm just a big bleeding heart all the time. <laughs> um, but I did want to share with you that when I was in my 20s and I had been away from church for a while and I came back to church, I was going to an Anglican church, Holy Trinity, and the pastor there preached really boldly on tithing, really boldly. And I grew up in a church where I knew that my mom and dad gave, but tithing was never talked about from the front ever. And you never knew what anybody gave, and it was just kept totally quiet. And so as a result, I had no guidance on it when I was growing up. And it was the first time that I'd ever had anybody challenge me ever. And I didn't feel like I could afford to tithe. I really didn't. Um, Wade and I were dating, and, um, and it was the first time really on my own that I made that choice. And so in faith, I did. I just took a risk, and I decided to, to tithe. And... Within a week's time, Wade proposed to me. And when he proposed to me, he gave me this little silver ring. This is a copy of it. Because he had been walking around praying, asking God for a ring for me by a certain date. And anytime he had looked at anything, God just said, don't do it. Don't put it on credit. Don't borrow it. I'm just going to provide for you. And so finally, Wade just said, Lord, I need a ring for Joanna by the 30th of May. That's the day I'm going to ask her. And so nothing was coming through, and he really wanted to propose on a sailboat, and he wound up getting a sailboat down at Granville Island for twice the time and half the money, and he said, okay, Lord, that's my yes. I'm going to go propose to Joanna. So he proposed with this little silver ring in the morning, and that night we were at a friend's place, and we had a buddy who came over, and he was so nervous, and he spilled his drink, and he did all this funny stuff. And then he said to Wade, well, I guess this is for you. And he gave him this funny little silver thing that looked like a tarnished tea strainer. And it was a silver ring box from Burke's. And Wade, first of all, it looked like somebody had punched him. And then he got up. We were just over on commercial drive. And he went out onto the deck of the apartment. And he just screamed. And, oh, yes, Vancouver, God is good. 
And he came back in and he said, I didn't tell anybody. I never told anybody this. I asked God for a ring for Joanna by the 30th of May. And then he said, what time is it? What time is it? And it was 9.30. And he said, he still had three hours to go. So then he said, well, I guess this is for you. And took the ring off the ring box. And I had two very carnal thoughts. The first one was, oh, look at all the diamonds in the ring. Because <laughs> I expected nothing. I expected nothing from my missionary husband, fiance. And the second thing I thought was, oh, I wanted to wear that ring to church so bad tomorrow morning because it was Saturday night. I wanted to show it to all my friends. But I have huge hands. Like, look my hand next to Gordy. Put your hand up there. I have really big hands. <laughs> and never in my life had I ever been in a jewelry store where a ring fit me. Never, ever. And he said, well, this is for you. And he put the ring on my hand. And it fit me. And I thought, wow. Like, I went to church the next day and said, well, guys, I started tithing this week. And a really cool thing happened. And Wade said to me later on, I don't want to be crass, but do you want to know how much God loves you? And I was like, sure. He said, these are the appraisal papers for this ring. It is 18 karat gold and platinum. It is so beyond anything we could have ever afforded. And it's become a symbol of the blood of Jesus. I mean, there is a verse about a faithful wife being like rubies. I had no idea there's a ruby. But more than anything, I found out that our buddy had gone shopping for this ring six years before. And he was in a relationship and God told him to end it. And he had hung on to the ring for six years. Well, I told you that I had been away from the church for a while. And it wasn't until later I figured out that the exact time that I left church and walked away from God and stopped going was when Marty bought the ring. And I have no doubt that this ring was always supposed to be mine. And that is the heart of the Father, that not only does he provide beyond what we can ask or imagine, beyond our vulnerability, beyond whatever, but when we leave... He goes ring shopping for us, right? And he just held that until I came back and was faithful and found my man. And the Lord showed me during the time when he provided for our engagement and our wedding that he was laying a foundation, and little did I know what I was in for at that point in time. I didn't understand what it meant to be in youth with a mission. I didn't understand everything I was signing up for in marrying Wade. <laughs> I just didn't. <laughs> um, but God's just been so faithful to our family to provide for us. And, yeah, we just try and be faithful, too, and God provides for our needs. So I would just say, if this is something you have never done or you've balked at doing, I can't promise you diamond rings. It's a pretty extraordinary story, but I can promise you that God will meet all your needs. So that's it. Thanks, So let me bless you uh, the way that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. I love that blessing he gave to Abraham. It's so, so amazing. And I believe that's what we're... We're called to be King of Salem. King of Peace. Let's all stand together.
I believe that part of this Sabbath year, this grid and beautiful year that God is giving to us, is, is financial. I believe He wants to bless us this year. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you with rest. Where you're just going to see more done with less effort. You're going to see more value with less money. And I want to bless you with that. I want to bless you with the blessing of peace. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I want to bless you with the blessing that Abraham was given. Blessed be you, V-E-V, by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. I want to bless you to be generous in heart, in spirit, with finances, with resources, with time. I want to bless you to slow down. I want to bless you with where less is more. Less is more. Less hurry. Less stress. More being together. More community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. If you'd like more prayer, we'd be happy to pray with you. I know we need to go get our kids. Uh, bless you. Have a blessed week. God loves you. He's for you. He's got your back.